Listener Production. Hi, Rihanna Patrick here, and welcome to The Briefing. Here's Argentina have won the World Cup. France have lost their title. Lionel Messi has won the World Cup. Yes, the winner is Argentina. In a gripping match that came down to extra time and then a penalty shootout, it's Argentina's first win since 1986, with Lionel Messi finally locking down the only major trophy that has been out of his grasp until now. And the World Cup has been dominating headlines over the last few weeks, and not always for all the right reasons. We're going to talk the wins, the upsets, and everything in between in the second half of this episode. But first, here with today's headlines is Eleanor Harrison-Dengate. It's Monday, the 19th of December. First, we're turning to a soccer story a bit closer to home. Victoria Police have released photos of nine wanted men in the wake of Saturday night's violent pitch invasion, while two men have already turned themselves in. Yeah, Eleanor, if you missed how this all began, on Saturday night, fans at an A-League game between Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City were protesting a decision that would see the next three A-League grand finals held in Sydney. But instead of an expected walkout, fans started to throw flares onto the pitch at both ends. And when City goalkeeper Tom Glover threw a flare back into the crowd, the mob of at least 150 people stormed onto the field. The referee has called for both sets of players to leave the field of play. Yeah, Glover suffered severe lacerations and concussion from a metal bin filled with sand, while an official and a cameraman were both injured as well. Yeah, so the reason why that metal bin, uh, why they had a metal bin filled with sand was because that is used to actually put out flares and the game ended up suspended. Melbourne Victory are now talking to police and officials before meeting out any punishment. The club could be forced to play remaining matches behind closed doors. They could also be potentially script of competition points and fined. And while A-League matches were still on yesterday, there are now fears that this incident has damaged our international reputation. And of course, Australia is set to co-host the World Cup for women's football next year. Now, Eleanor, it just looked like absolute chaos on the pitch. Well, it looked terrifying. You know, there's the issue, the international issue, but also potentially, you know, normal sort of soccer fans in Australia could be worried about going to matches from here on out. So, you know, it's not a good look, especially after, you know, only only a couple of weeks ago, we were celebrating getting as far as we've ever gotten uh, in the World Cup. Yeah, and a dedicated group of detectives are now investigating what happened on uh, Saturday, and it's being backed by the Football Association, A-League officials and clubs who, as you say, are trying to get this all contained uh, before the women's football next year. If you've got any baby spinach in the fridge, it's best to check it as it might have been from one of the batches that have been recalled. Spinach containing a hallucinogen has now been found in products sold at Woolworths, Coles, Aldi and Costco. Yeah, 130 people across the country are believed to have suffered symptoms with a child having to spend a night in a Brisbane hospital over the weekend. Yeah, and symptoms can be severe and include delirium or confusion, hallucinations, dilated pupils, rapid heartbeat, dry mouth and dry skin, a fever, flushed face and even blurred vision. But most spinach is still safe to eat. It's not all spinach or all leafy products in Australia that are affected by the uh, the, the current issue with food safety. It is solely one site, a single farm in Victoria, so one producer, 
That's Ausveg CEO Michael Coote there. So Riviera Farms, uh, which is where the contaminated spinach has been tracked down to, um, they're investigating exactly what happened. They believe a weed, which could potentially be from the nightshade family, was growing next to the crop and looks an awful lot like spinach. Yeah, Eleanor, and the floods and rain this year have not been kind to spinach producers. No, and I mean, that's also part of the reason why they have had this um, weed problem because all the extra rain has means there's been an explosion of uh, weeds right across the country. Um, So also, uh, just as a note, authorities are actually warning for people to not seek out the contaminated spinach products to get a high. Don't do that, guys. China's abrupt lifting of COVID restrictions is already taking a toll with lines of hearses being seen in Beijing. So a crematorium worker there believes there are about 200 bodies arriving each day, and that's contrasted with 30 or 40 bodies on a typical day. And it's forecast, you know, between a million people or 1.5 million people could die over the next year. Yeah, the World Health Organization is worried the country isn't adequately vaccinated with low inoculation rates among the elderly. So this is all after China dismantled their sort of main COVID zero lockdown policies. So the lockdowns is not so much an issue anymore. Testing, quarantine regimes being rolled back. And this is all after some major protests across the country, which all sort of kicked off um, in an apartment block uh, in the West when basically uh, emergency services couldn't get into it when it was on fire because of the COVID restrictions. Yeah, Eleanor, and the lifting of testing requirements um, has meant that the scale of China's coronavirus surge has been hard to measure because asymptomatic cases are also no longer being counted either. And some more sport news. Australia has broken the men's 4 by 100 metre relay world record to win gold alongside the US in a dead heat at swimming's World Short Course Championships in Melbourne overnight. Yeah, we looked like we were coming in second before Kyle Chalmers smashed through the last 25 metres. You know, I'm the one that gets to sit on the lane rope at the end of the race, but they were the three better swimmers tonight and... Uh, and I just got the fun job of bringing it home. And Kaylee McEwen also made history, winning the 200-metre backstroke. And if you're wondering what the weather might be like for Christmas Day, well, the forecast is out. So Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide and even Hobart are all expected to have clear skies with only a small chance of any rain and temps will be in the 20s. And if you're in Brisbane, a maximum of 29 with cloudy and a 60% chance of rain, while Darwin is likely to hit 32 and experience showers and storms. Thanks, Eleanor. Next, all the action from Qatar and the FIFA World Cup. Tomorrow, Robocops, why they're no longer consigned to science fiction. In a FIFA World Cup final, you couldn't have predicted a game which went into extra time and then a penalty shootout. Argentina has held on against France to take the championship. In a nail-biter, which saw the game at two-all at full-time, then three-all in extra time, with Argentina then winning the penalty shootout 4-2. France's Kylian Mbappe, who scored eight times in this World Cup, one more than Argentina's Lionel Messi, took the tournament's 
Golden Boot, while Argentina's Emmy Martinez took the Golden Glove Award for Best Keeper. ABC sports journalist and broadcaster Tracy Holmes is in Qatar. Tracy, you really couldn't have asked for a more gripping, sensational final game. You really could not. I mean, it had everything involved in this match. You know, it had the fairy tale ending. Then it looked like the fairy tale for, for Lionel Messi was going to be denied. Uh, then it was back on track. And then Mbappe looked like he was going to be the star of the show. Only the second man in history to score a hat trick in a final of a World Cup. But in the end, I guess you could say, you know, history really was here this evening for Argentina and for Messi, who now can claim without doubt to being the greatest player of his generation. It took him five World Cup attempts to get a World Cup, but he has now got that. And oh my gosh, did he have to fight to do, do so. Oh, Tracy, it felt like much of the world was behind Messi getting this last remaining major trophy for this collection. You've mentioned Mbappe there, but who else stood out in the final? Uh, in the final, look, I, you know, <laughs> it, it's impossible to say that the goalkeepers, whenever you have one that goes to a penalty shootout, you have to give credit to the goalkeepers because they are phenomenal. Um, and, you know... The, the captains, the coaches, the bench, I mean, everybody was just so incredibly uh, supportive. You, you couldn't deny anybody. And both teams had had such a difficult task. I mean, it has been a grueling World Cup. And so in that regard, you know, they were fighting injury. They were fighting fatigue. We know the French team had a, had a virus go through the camp. But, I mean, they, they all just pulled out whatever they needed to pull out to give us a final of the ages. What was the feeling in the stadium when that final penalty kick went in? Oh, well, the, the, the entire match from start to finish was just pumping. So at one point it was Argentina. Uh, you know, the fans here have just been so thick and strong for Argentina. And, and they had one end of the, the venue absolutely pumping. It was a capacity venue, almost 90,000 people. And then, of course, when France came back and, and equalised and sent it to overtime, the French suddenly found their voice. But the Argentinians didn't want to believe it and they willed their players on for more. Um, and then right at the end, of course, you know, when it was obvious that Argentina had won the penalty shootout 4-2, um, it, it was just mayhem. The bench was already in tears. You know, Messi, I cannot imagine what has gone through his mind and, and his emotions throughout this game. Uh, just incredible. And, and I think everybody that has been lucky enough to be here tonight We'll talk about this final for many, many years to come. And, and that's for the French as well as the Argentinians, you know, for the Messi fans and the Mbappe fans. We have seen a legend now pass into, into absolute godlike status up there with Maradona. And we have the very next one already on his way through, Kylian Mbappe, a World Cup winner already. He's not yet 24. I think his birthday's in two days' time. And he finished runner-up in a second World Cup. So, um, and finished with a hat-trick and I think will win the Golden Boot Award for the most goals scored here. So really legendary time. This was also a tournament of upsets with unlikely countries taking out the win. I mean, what do you think that says about the state of football around the world at the moment? I think what it says is that, you know, the, the World Cup can genuinely claim to being part of the world now. And with the rise of the, the teams we've seen from Africa and, and, uh, and Asia and some of the results that we saw here, um, it, 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 times have really shifted. We are seeing a real 
um, I won't say changing the guard yet because Europe is so incredibly strong. The South Americans have always been strong. But we are seeing a levelling out. And I think by hosting this World Cup in the Middle East for the first time in this tiny nation that was put under such scrutiny for more than a decade, and in the end, if you talk about the tournament itself, they delivered an absolute world-class tournament with world-class football. And the crowds at this event have been a very different audience to your usual World Cup. And so we are seeing a bit of a, a levelling out. We, we are seeing the World Cup actually staged for the world. And uh, it's a really nice thing to see. Yeah, well, Tracy, what do you mean about that with the audience? I mean, you've obviously seen um, a lot of these tournaments, but, I mean, I mean, what do you mean by that audience really changing at the moment and being very different? Well, it's very different. This is um, a, a black and brown World Cup, if I can be as blunt as that. The World Cup is usually uh, predominantly European fans for the European nations. They have most of the teams here. Uh, we're going to see a bit of a change in that because the World Cup will now change from 32 teams to 48. So we're going to see more teams from all around the world. But by having it in the Middle East and because of the controversy and the human rights spotlight that was put on this country in the lead up to it, Many of your usual fans decided not to come. So many of the Europeans, we know the European press, the Western press, uh, was really down on this World Cup from the start and, and, and right through until the end, to be fair. Um, uh, but what we've seen in its place is that, you know, 30,000 people a weekend will drive across the border from Saudi Arabia. We have seen the migrant workers here in force at all of these matches. Um, we have seen uh, people from Africa who, who live and work here or people that have flown across when they could or people that live and work in the UAE that have flown across when they could on the daily shuttle. Uh, these are the people that have absorbed this World Cup and it's been a World Cup predominantly without alcohol in public spaces. That has also changed uh, the makeup. We've seen a lot of families. We've seen a lot of kids. We've seen a lot of women in the crowd at a World Cup that you don't normally see. And it's been incredibly hospitable. It's been incredibly friendly. And we have just seen a new face of a World Cup fan. You know, that is quite remarkable just in and of itself. Tracy, you mentioned the controversies there. I mean, do you think this World Cup will be remembered for those? Or do you think everything else that has happened so far um, means that it won't be overshadowed by some of those things that others were talking about around the world? And, and like you said, why people didn't turn up, some people? It'll... It'll be interesting to see what comes out in the analysis. Um, I suspect that the people that had complaints uh, in the lead-up and, uh, and were, were very conscious of, of the human rights um, abuses here, to be honest, Qatar significantly changed their, their workers' laws here because of workers' rights. Um, what they have done in that regard is probably going to be the greatest legacy of this World Cup. And people haven't given enough credit to the changes that have been made here. They came from a very low base, to be frank, um, but they are now regional leading. And um, that is something that the International Labour Organisation has praised, the International Trade Union Confederation has praised, but Western media uh, still have not given credit where credit is due. Now, there's still work to be done. There is no denying that, of course. And if you talk about LGBTQI rights, you're not going to have the rights we enjoy in free liberal democracies like our own when you're talking about a Muslim nation where church and state are not separated. Um, but they have other ways of making people feel welcome. I know uh, members of the LGBTQI community that came here with some trepidation in the beginning, 
and left here feeling like they were made to feel nothing but welcome while they were here. So um, a lot of people have probably uh, gone home and thought what they heard in the lead-up didn't quite equate with their experience here. Uh, That's not to say there weren't problems and there aren't still going to be problems. But it also shows that we live in a complex world, in a changing society, and, um, you know, these things are not always uh, black and white. There are many, many shades of grey in all of these. And so people will talk about the controversy for sure, and some people will not meet up on that. But as far as the organisation of the tournament itself and what it has done to pivot world football into a, a bigger global audience, um, they have most definitely seen something that feel proud of as a host nation. Yeah, on that trace, I mean, what has it been like being media there covering this event? It's been interesting because there's a lot of Western media who um, have said it was nothing like they expected and nothing like they had even reported in the lead-up. But in the very next sentence, they would say things like, but we can't really report this for back home because no one would believe us. And I find that really intriguing, you know, that journalists... And, and people that say, you know, they are here to record history as it unfolds in, in all of its guises and through all of those lenses cannot be entirely truthful because there's an expectation uh, and there's a narrative that had developed and people are not willing to say that maybe that narrative has been challenged. Yeah, and, you know, and finally, Tracy, because I can hear that it's still going all on in the background there for you, but, I mean, this was um, one of the most successful campaigns for the Socceroos. It certainly was, and it also augurs well for the future. And, you know, great credit to uh, Graham Arnold and the team that he built and uh, a team of believers, you know, given the the non-belief around them that was uh, heading into this tournament and they only just scraped in by the barest of margins, but then pulled off a best ever Socceroos performance at a World Cup. And that was phenomenal. And there are many people, (laughs) excuse me, I'm losing my voice, many people um, who have been talking about the Socceroos, you know, other nations, and uh, they fully admire what the Socceroos have done Um, Some of the great nations in world football, including Messi and Argentina, gave credit to Australia. Um, That augurs well for four years' time. And and let's just hope that uh, all the good work that was done um, is continued to be built upon as we head towards the next World Cup. And let's not forget, the very next FIFA World Cup is, in fact, in Australia and New Zealand, the Women's World Cup, which starts in seven months' time. Yeah, Tracy, and I was going to say, no doubt you'll have a bit of a break and then you'll be back on to it for that one next year. Let's hope so. (laughs) (laughs) That's the ABC's Tracy Holmes from Qatar. And it sounds like it's all still happening there. It sounds absolutely just going off. Uh, But that's it for the briefing today. Tomorrow, Robocops, why they're no longer consigned to science fiction and why the San Francisco community is pushing back. Listener.